Hello, it's Manveen here. I know a lot of people are feeling anxious and worried at the moment as we all try to adapt to the new normal. We will continue to bring you stories from our trusted Times and Sunday Times journalists over the coming weeks and months on the coronavirus, including a bonus episode today. But if you want a break from COVID-19, then we'll also be bringing you other stories of our times from all over the world, including this one. We hear how one of Australia's much-loved animals could soon be endangered. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's become known as the Black Summer. You'd wake up in the morning, even before you got out of bed, you could smell the smoke. Australia's bushfire season may have faded from the headlines, but the devastation continues, with the last fires only going out this month. How can we lose the koala? Criminal! If we keep going with these hot, dry summers, no wildlife are going to cope with that. Is climate change destroying Australia's wildlife? This is Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today fighting to save Australia's koalas. So my name's Bernard Lagan. I work as the Times correspondent in Sydney, Australia, and I also um, cover New Zealand and the Pacific. And I've been with the Times since about 2006 with a couple of little breaks. Bernard is speaking to me from his home in Sydney, New South Wales. Last year, and not even in summer, Australia caught fire around about September, which is still spring, really. And the first victims, the first animal victims, were the koalas. In fact, in New South Wales, it is likely the koalas will now have to be declared an endangered species, which if you told me that 10 years ago, I could not have believed you, but that is where we're at. Going back to how you sort of stumbled upon this story, can you tell me a bit about the story of Bernadette? We have in Australia a, a large koala hospital, a dedicated institution. When I visited there in early February, one of the koalas that I was introduced to was a koala called Bernadette. Now, she is a 15-year-old female, and she was found after a fire had torn through the Blue Mountains, which are just west of Sydney. And she was found by a man who took pity on her and took her into his home for a month to try and get her better. 
Now, she was badly burned. She had burns to her feet, to her hands, to her back. She was partially blind, and he didn't even know whether she could be saved. But she appeared to get stronger. So this man took her after a month. He drove her in his car for 300 miles in a cardboard box in the back seat to the Port Macquarie Koala Hospital. In a cardboard box? In a cardboard box, yes. And that's where she remains until today. She's still there, and they are hopeful that in the next few weeks they will be able to take her back to the Blue Mountains and release her and that she will go back into the wild. So that's the story of Bernadette, but there are many other koalas there who have a, uh, a similar story. Bernadette appears to be one of the lucky ones. She managed to make it to this unique sanctuary in Port Macquarie, a small retirement town. 300 miles north of Sydney. And the reason the koala hospital is in Port Macquarie is because that, that town is in the middle of a very large koala habitat in New South Wales. So that hospital looks after koalas from all over Australia. It actually has, I think, something like 20 intensive care units for koalas, and it's, it's really is quite a place. Tell me more about this koala hospital. Well, the clinical director is a, a woman by the name of Shane Flanagan. We're the only hospital dedicated to koalas in the country. Okay. There are clinics, and Lismore Friends of the Koala have a clinic. Yep. Port Stephens Hospital are currently building, uh, Port Stephens Koalas are currently building a hospital. Yeah. But the majority of koalas are done in people's homes. Okay. Her area of expertise is actually uh, snakes and lizards. I actually have a herpetology background. I'm, I'm I'm from a, from a snake and lizard. Are you? Yeah. Really? Yeah, and I have snakes your, at home. Yeah. And that was your area of expertise? Yes. Oh, and my passion. Yeah, yeah. About all, all animals, doesn't matter what they Right, are. OK. Yeah. Anyway. How long have you been doing? 20 years. Really? 20 years? 20 <laughs> years at the Koala Hospital. Yeah. Shane is, uh, has uh, bright red hair. She speaks with a, a very, much what you might call, regional Australian accent. I guess an accent of the land would be a kind way of putting it. She is what Australians would call a tough cookie. I mean, she doesn't easily take no for an answer on anything. She didn't want to give me her age. I asked her, I told her, look, the Times, we like to put your age in. Now, look, one of the things the Times do is they like to put the age of the main person in the story. Okay, all right. (laughs) They can make up that one, I'm not telling you. But anyway, I would imagine she's uh, in her mid-50s or somewhere. She sounds like a fantastic character. You need someone pretty assertive running an organisation like that. And she's become uh, something of an institution in Port Macquarie. She has fought for the hospital to be expanded. On some days during these fires, they've had 100 animals in that hospital. And how, how, what was that like? It was certainly cramped. When you went into their intensive care units, every little cage was occupied somehow. Each koala has a little chart outside its uh, cage saying when it's due to have its bandages changed and that kind of thing. They name every koala with a, uh, a name like Jeff or Steve or Bernadette or Graham or something like that. And they also record exactly where that koala was found. All koalas have a home range. You know, you have your house in your backyard. Yep. They have theirs. Yep. Their, their house in their backyard. Yep. And that's where they live their entire lives until situations can force them out okay, of it. Okay, yeah. So they must go back to where they came from. Yeah, yeah. Adult, adult koala. And the intention always is to try and return the koala to where it was found eventually, even the same tree where it was found. Among all the devastation... Bernard says he was reassured to see people coming from hundreds of miles away to rescue koalas. It was an exercise in humanity, really, I thought. It was also people feeling a need in a time of crisis to feel like they could 
come to that Kuala Hospital and at least do something. People did feel helpless during these fires. They felt helpless just watching on, I think, and, uh, and feeling if you're living in Sydney and watching the countryside burn, they felt they weren't able to do much about it. But if you're living in Port Macquarie and can get to a Kuala Hospital, at least you're feeling less helpless. Now to Australia, where they're facing those massive fires, already among the worst in that country's history. Firefighters are warning they will struggle to contain deadly fires today as soaring heat and strong winds hit Australia. Bushfires have killed 18 people. They've killed close to half a billion animals. They're over twice as big as the Amazon forest fires. All told, the fires destroyed lives and livelihoods. This month, the Climate Council in Australia announced 33 people had been killed by the fires, and nearly 2,500 homes were destroyed, while a billion animals died. So these fires were generally started by lightning strikes. In these intense storms, you get a lot of lightning strikes. Now, on Christmas Eve in Darwin in northern Australia, there were 93,000 lightning strikes in one night. That's a shocking number. Yeah. In one night. So, in one night. So when the forest is very dry and there's a lot of fuel to burn, it really only takes one lightning strike to trigger a fire. And that's what happened, particularly north of Sydney, there was a fire called the Gospers Mountain Fire, which merged and turned into what's called a mega fire. So there was a big area ready to burn, and burn it did. They began in September and they carried on all the way through, and the last fires were not out till March. I mean, as somebody who's, who's lived there for decades, mm. at what point did you realise this was no ordinary bushfire? In early December, when that Gospers Mountain fire north of Sydney really started to merge with other fires, when the authorities started to describe it as a mega-fire, uh, I realised then, along with a lot of other people, this was going to be a different summer. It was about then you'd wake up in the morning and you could, even before you got out of bed, you could smell the smoke. And then you'd open up your curtains and it was, it was, it was the most eerie thing. It was an orange or grey colour. The sun completely blotted out. I remember the birds stopped. You know, in the morning in Sydney, you always hear the birds. And I remember the, there were days there where I didn't hear the birds. And then you would, if you had to go somewhere walk to the shops or get in your car, the, the, the smoke was inescapable. It was like driving in a London fog. It really was very, very intense. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Despite numerous warnings, including from retired fire chiefs months before the fires began, the country seemed unprepared. Then, in the middle of the destruction, videos went viral of angry residents confronting the Prime Minister as he visited towns badly damaged by the fires. You are out, son. You are out. the people I'm only shaking your hand if you give more funding to our RFS. There's so many people here have lost their homes. The thing I noticed at the end of all this as I went to those towns where the fires had, had caused a lot of damage, people would say, why didn't they listen to those firemen? What was wrong with people? Why didn't they take those firemen seriously? In my view, that's where the real anger with the government was over this. I mean, governments can't stop fires, but they can take some notice of people who warn. So many people said to me that they wished that they, these firemen, retired fire chiefs, had been listened to. Is there a push for the government to, to take more notice of climate change and some of the causes? Climate change is a polarising debate in Australia, particularly with his government. Our last election was fought on issues of climate change. So the history of this is, is really is that Australia is a resource-rich country. We are the world's biggest coal exporter. Mm. We sell a lot of coal to China and North Korea and Japan and soon to be India. Most climate scientists will tell you that coal is a big contributor to carbon in the atmosphere. The issue for Australia is, does it commit to reducing emissions quite rapidly, or does it adopt a more gradual approach and preserve its coal mining industry? In Queensland and New South Wales alone, nearly 50,000 people work in the coal mining industry. As Bernard just explained, Australia is the biggest coal exporter in the world, so moving to new energy sources is politically difficult, as it could put voters' jobs at risk. If you were to reduce coal exports in terms of jobs, particularly in regional New South Wales and regional Queensland, the last election, they are the areas that really won the election for the government because it did not commit in any way at all to reducing coal mining in those areas. I think the government feels it kind of owes those people. It is not certainly not about to move on reducing coal mining activity at the moment. If anything, it's going to expand it. We're about to begin building a very, very large new coal mine in regional Queensland, which is going to export coal to India for a new coal-fired power station. In the middle of this highly political debate... Shane Flanagan at the Koala Hospital is not backing down. Look, there'll be, there'll be pockets of koalas will survive in, yep. in, in, in little music refuges. Um, the future is not good unless we deal with our changing climate. That's the driver. The changing um, climate. The changing climate. I mean, 
if we keep going with these hot, dry summers, no wildlife are going to cope with that. I mean, they all have their preferred temperature range. Shane is pretty angry about uh, about the lack of action on climate change. Nobody copes with 45 degrees repeatedly. No. And we keep having droughts. We're, we're just going to kill so many species off. Yeah. Which We've got the highest rate of extinction of mammals in we the have. world. Yeah. That's just Exactly shame. right. And I think koalas are also particularly susceptible to climate change. And when I went to see her oh, in February, well, the last thing she said to me, she felt that the, um, the koalas could eventually be all lost. And then she said to me... Yeah. How can we lose the koala? That's just criminal. Yeah. Criminal. And the world's watching us at the moment. The whole world is watching us. And the, the horrible disaster with... Jane is among those who associates the intensity of these fires with a warming climate. And she would certainly be among those who would wish to see more done, not just uh, on the part of the Australian government, but internationally to reduce the rate of global warming. Shane Flanagan's campaign to save the koalas got global attention. She was even invited to address the UN. Which she did, and she took part in a panel discussion to mark World Wildlife Day. I spoke to her beforehand and she... (laughs) Well, when she told me she was going in February, she said she was anxious about it. There's a, another side to this story. The Koala Hospital has been invited to speak at the United Nations in March this year oh. at World Environment Day. So we're going over on the 27th and of, of February. We're hoping to um, ask a lot of the philanthropic people over there for $100 million. We're going to go big. Right. So we can buy as much land as we can. Fantastic. Not just here, anywhere in New South Wales, maybe even to Victoria, Queensland, yeah. I don't know, wherever yeah. there's really good habitat that's available, we want to try and Will buy Will you speak? It. Yes, yes, I'm speaking. Good. Man, it's going to be the most terrifying thing I'll, I'll ever do in my sure working career, actually. I think, at the United Nations. <laughs> Holy dooly. <laughs> but her attitude was, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to ask them for money and I'm hoping to raise $100 million is what she told me. So $100 million Australian dollars was her goal. But that would translate to uh, around about £50 million. Pounds. So wow. she was certainly thinking big. She told the UN that they're going to spend quite a lot of the money on not just rebuilding the hospital, they're going to buy tracts of forest around Port Macquarie close to the hospital and fence them off and use them as breeding areas for the koalas to try and restore the populations which which have been lost. Their plan is to create um, large forests dedicated to koalas to try and restore the populations. So off Shane went to New York, hoping to raise 100 million Australian dollars from American philanthropists. It hasn't quite come off yet, but she's glad she went. The UN has certainly given her a platform. There were quite a few eminent ecologists on the platform with her. She was able to explain to them the operations of a koala hospital. And apparently it was very well attended. Uh, And it did give her an opportunity to seek international donations. Is it easier to get attention when when you're showing people a cuddly koala than... I mean, for Shane, do you think it's easier that she's she's working with koalas now and no longer with lizards and snakes? I, I think that's exactly right. I think the, the people people uh, like koalas. People uh, can relate to them somehow. They're uh, docile. They're, uh, they're cute. They're friendly. They don't sting you. They don't poison you like many of our, our other animals. What is the outlook for, for koalas now? In New South Wales, the out- outlook is, is not terrific. I think the estimate in New South Wales is eight to 10,000 have been lost. 
it's more that so much habitat has been lost and whether there is going to be enough habitat for them to regenerate properly. What's the effect been on Australia? How is Australia coping? International publicity associated with the fires uh, has had a real effect on tourism. It's not just that the fires have gone through some of these picturesque towns which, which tourists wanted to go to. It's the fact that people have read about the effect of the fires, the destruction, and the effects of the smoke, and tourism has dropped off. Now, that's been exacerbated greatly by the onset of the um, coronavirus. So basically, the tourism industry has dried up for the moment. So we were going to have to wait and see what happens with the coronavirus, and in turn, whether people feel confident enough that they can come back to Australia even after the uh, destruction of the fires. For British tourists going out there, apart from the fact that tourism has dropped, has anything else changed? We have a scheme in Australia for backpackers. We have a lot of British backpackers who come to Australia. And now that's quite tightly controlled. You can come for a year and if you want to stay beyond that, then you have to do some work in a regional area and you can get your visa extended. Traditionally, that work has had to be farm work. The government changed the rules because it really needs labour. It needs people in these areas where the fires were to help farmers rebuild, to help towns rebuild. If you're prepared to go into a fire zone and help out, that will be counted as work you can do to extend your visa and stay on for another year or two. There's quite a few young people from Britain have uh, taken that up. Uh, there are also retired British police and British firefighters out here helping people to restore their land. That tells you something about the effect that the fires had on people far, far, far away from Australia. They've come down because they wanted to help. After 30 years living in Sydney, this story felt particularly personal for Bernard Legan. I have two teenage daughters, 18 and uh, 15, who've taken part in the school climate process. I'm much more encouraging of them now than I was. And I think what it's done, I've seen in them the uh, reaction they have had over this summer to these fires. And they have been uh, pretty scared by it, not because they thought the fires were going to get them, but they have felt enormously for the people who have been directly affected by the fires, for the animals, for the loss of the forest. They really don't see how that's going to change in their lifetime. I think they fear that the climate is coming to get them. As a journalist who's been having to travel around the country that you've lived in for years and, and loved and see it so much of it being destroyed. What's it been like having a, a front row seat on all that destruction and seeing so much of the natural world dying out? It's been pretty harrowing to see that, to go to those areas and talk to people and, and feel their despair, particularly the people who... Um, who've been left high and dry, whether the people you know, who are in their 60s and can't really decide whether they can stay and rebuild and, and start their lives again. Uh, I'm sort of optimistic. I, I am hoping that the effect of these fires will be such that next time we have an election in this country, 
that climate change will be top of the order and that uh, Australia makes a greater effort than it has done to reduce its own carbon footprint. And how about the unstoppable Shane Flanagan? How, how do you think she's been affected by this whole episode? I think she despairs for the quails. That's the first thing with, with Shane. I mean, she's an animal lover. And as tough as she is when she's dealing with an ill koala, Shane is the one who, who, who's very hard to read. You look at her face and it really, her expression doesn't change. She's done it so many times. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say she's immune to the suffering of the animals, but she's, uh, she manages it a lot better than other people. Does she get attached to them? Oh, I think she does get attached to them, but she doesn't. She's not. A, she's less willing to talk about that. She tends to be uh, a bit more businesslike when those questions are put. You to must her. get quite attached to some of these animals when they've been here a long time. Try not to. Try not. You do try not to. I've been doing this for a lot of years, and if I got attached, and then they, the amount of animals that have died over the years, I'd be gaga. So no, you've got to learn to just stand mm. back. Shane does not wear her emotions on a sleeve, but I think as to how Shane has changed. Um, I think you saw it at the UN. She said, I'm going in there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think big. I want $100 million. That's what I need to rebuild this hospital. And that's what I need to buy these extra areas of forest to save these animals. She used the word criminal to me. She said, look, if these koalas disappear, then that's criminal. And what she's saying is it would be criminal, she is saying, for Australia to stand by and be inactive on climate change. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times Australia correspondent, Bernard Lagan. You can read more of Bernard's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Will Rowe, the executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. Please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And in these uncertain times, you can access analysis, opinion and advice from the experts every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Please visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe today to find out more. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.